Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Welcome to episode 178 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. My name is Derek Spartz here in cloudy... Venice Beach, California, but I'm hoping the sun will peek out later. I'm joined with Johnny FD, my co-host, who's hanging out in Kiev. How's it looking over there? It is looking pretty good. The spring has finally started. Flowers finally started blooming, and a little bit of sun has started to peek in to cold Ukraine. I'm happy for you on that. I know last week you were telling us that you were... uh, First off, officially a millionaire, which I want to put in every episode now, I think. <laughs> Secondly, you were shopping for some real estate for yourself, a big buy for Johnny FD. What's the status update there? Yeah, so the status is Johnny is no longer a millionaire because I put money into what could be considered my primary residence because it's my only residence. Um but if I treat it as an income property, then technically still would be. So just, uh, what, do you, what do you call those? Somatics, I guess. But yeah, um, all that we talked about in the last quarterly update, which is a Patreon exclusive, as well as the mastermind call that just finished. Um, but what is really cool about this week's guest is you don't have to put in all the money yourself uh, to, to invest in real estate. And you can be non-accredited, so you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't even have to be American. So I'm excited to have on Rad Diversified, which is actually also this week's sponsor. Yeah, this is a dream get for our bosses because the biggest complaint out here is, this investment's great, but I can't afford it because it's a $100,000 minimum or you need to be accredited. I'm not accredited, but I really want to get into it. So this is an opportunity to get into a REIT that's doing some really innovative things where it's just a thousand dollars to get in. So pretty simple. Most people, I would assume most of our bosses can easily afford that. And they want to make this as accessible as possible to everyone to get into the real estate space and really get some huge gains. I mean, 2019, they did 44%. 2020, even in the middle of COVID, they did over 36%. So we're going to talk to the CEO Dutch Mendenhall on this episode, who's quite the character. Yeah, you know, and personally, anytime I see these oversized returns, anything over you know ten percent, I'm always cautious. So I'm excited to find out more and dig in and see how that's even possible, uh, and also how that's sustainable. You know what? I thought the same thing too. But when you listen to the uh, reasoning of how he's able to get these outsized gains on some of this property, especially some of their farmland property that they've done. He's got a really innovative strategy that it's very uh, pertinent, I guess, to these times that we are in right now. So we're going to find out all about that when we talk to Dutch Mendenhall. He's the CEO and president of Rad Diversified. All right, I want to welcome okay. to the show. We're talking REITs, specifically Rad REITs and Rad Diversified. And I got a Rad guest on the show. We're talking to Dutch Mendenhall. He's the president and CEO of Rad Diversified. They got some crazy returns that I got to ask him about. But first, welcome to the show, Dutch. What's up, brother? What's happening? Not a whole lot. I really want to learn about what's going on with your business over there because it looks very promising. But first, 
Why don't you tell me about yourself a little bit? Your team, when we were doing a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff was saying that you have a really interesting background. Um, I wonder if you can tell me about that. I did a little research, but I wanted to have a little bit of a surprise too. Um, maybe explain how your background uh, got you into uh, real estate investing where you're at now. Well, when I was a kid, I started playing t-ball and then I moved into little American football and then I'm just kidding. So it depends <laughs> on how far back you want to go. Um, you know, my parents were failed serial entrepreneurs, failed serial real estate investors, right? And so they, they would go up and down and they would run the cycle like so many people who want to be a real estate investor, who want to be successful in real estate, right? And so that's kind of was like my upbringing is going through like that journey of, of seeing my parents and seeing them invest in different things and seeing them struggle and seeing them succeed and then seeing them fail and then seeing them make money. And so myself, you know, when I got older, I, I wasn't really wanting to get into real estate. I was kind of wanting to stay away from it. I was like, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to work for the man. I'm going to, you know, become a vice president someday. Sure. You know, I'm going to wear a suit and go into an office every single day. And then that's just never what happened. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I fought it, real estate kept just pulling me back in. And so I did my first flip about 15 years ago. And it was, you know, the standard HGTV, you know, you buy a house and you fix it and you put some money into it and you rehab it and you, you improve it and you make it better. And I spent a bunch of money going to real estate courses and real estate classes and, you know, attending seminars and, 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 and all of those kind of things. And well, one of the things I quickly realized that actually doing real estate is very different than HDTV or the TV. Sure. And it's very <laughs> different than the real estate courses and the real estate seminars. Right. And so, you know, I found some really good partners and we started flipping houses. And so that was kind of like, my intro into the business was, was flipping houses. And then I got into um, investing into self-storage and apartments and um, got really big into that after the 08 crash, right? Into yep. the um, the commercial short sales and, and to dealing with banks and working with banks and, you know, analyzing their debt and being able to negotiate the debt and different things. And so over the years, we kind of just kept growing. Um, and I started teaching and I started training. And in 2015, we had a bunch of students kept saying to me that Dutch, like Dutch, would you just invest with us? Would you just do it side by side with us? Would you just do it hand in hand? And in the beginning, I really didn't want the responsibility um, because it's like a lot of weight on your shoulders when you invest other people's money. And definitely I would always see these like seminar gurus that would be like, well, you know, you go borrow your first, you know, you know, 200,000 in private money and tell your cousin and your grandmother that you want to borrow their money so you can go invest in a house. And I always said to myself, I always felt like, that was a little like disingenuous. So you're telling someone you're going to go do something you've never done before and you're going to go <laughs> borrow their money to go and do it. And it, it just didn't, you know, sit, sit right with me. And so my students kept coming to me and eventually, you know, after talking with my wife and my business partners and my, and, you know, mentors and people, different things, I said, all right, I'm going to start and open my first fund. And so we opened our first fund in 2015 and it made, you know, pretty good money you know, and it was just the beginning. It was like a learning curve, like hiring accountants and hiring attorneys and all the different things with that. And, but then in 2016, we opened our second fund in 2016, we opened our third fund. Um, and so we had three of those, you know, private equity funds, but then there was a lot of limits on the average day person, right? The normal person mm -hmm. trying to invest, there was a lot of things that they weren't allowed to do. And that was kind of frustrating to me because I just said, look, if normal people want to invest, they should be able to invest in something like us that's getting good returns, track record history, all of the things that you need to do to make a good investment. And so that's when I began the journey with the REIT. 
And so I had to, you know, do a deep dive into the lawyers and a deep dive into the regulations and the deep dive into the SEC, which is a whole another world of, of its own. Right. And the, the funny part was the people at the SEC were incredibly helpful. Um, blew, blew my mind from what everybody said, right? Everybody talked about the red tape and <laughs> right. the government and everything else. Actually, they were really helpful. They told us what we needed to do. They told us how we needed to do it. And when we submitted our paperwork and we did our, you know, financials with our auditors and everything else, you know, they were, they were on it. You know, I mean, I mean, they'll, they'll, you know, go through you like a fine tooth comb, you know, and make sure that like every I and every T is crossed and they'll make sure that there's no room for, you know, any, 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 you know, craziness out there in the world. But once they've done that, right, and you follow their regulations, then then you're you're qualified, right? Um, and so we became qualified in 2019. Um, wow, you know it's funny when you talk about 2019 being years ago, right? Right. Um, it seems so long it seems ago. Like yesterday, right? <laughs> so much has but, happened since then. It's I don't I can't think of any any two year period where so much has gone down and yeah. changed in our lives. Uh, I love that, and I think that's why uh, we really wanted to have you on the show because. Um, all of our listeners, we call them bosses out there. Um, they definitely want to get involved in a, a lot of investments and they're not able to. So I think we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, some of the SEC related stuff. Um, can you just kind of give us a, a snapshot? Cause you know, so much stuff has happened mm-hmm. in the last two years of let's take, let's take when you started in 2019, the, the real estate space and where we're at now going through an entire pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic, what's, what's really changed in the industry that maybe is not so obvious to the average investor? Well, there's a lot of things that have changed very, very quickly. Right. So, you know, there was, and there was a lot of turmoil, right. In the industry during that time, there was a time when lenders wouldn't lend to investors for diddly squat. And then they started lending again and then they wouldn't lend. Right. Um, when you base your business off of buying foreclosures and buying pre foreclosures and buying off the market properties and stuff. Right. And then there are no foreclosures that changes the industry as well, very, very quickly. And so we had to make changes and shifts, you know, fast. Um, but I was a little bit blessed in the sense that I saw this thing as a pretty serious thing from the beginning. Like I did videos in October of 2019 and said, I thought there was some type of economic crisis coming quickly. And then as early as January, I said, COVID is going to hit us like a sledgehammer. By April said, I said there was going to be riots and protests. And I was able to make some of those predictions all along the way, because it's one of my evil geniuses is to be able to collect a lot of information and then, and then correlate that information and then put it to work, you know? And so we shifted our buying strategy um, towards bringing deals to us. Um, And so we put a large outlay of advertising marketing into bringing in deal flow. But then we also have thousands of investors who send us deals. And so we're able to sort through and kind of take the cream off the crop to do deals. But we also made an investment strategy shift. We started investing in income generating farms, right? And if you paid attention to the news where people talk about Bill Gates or Bezos buying a a crap ton of land, right? Well, if you Mm -hmm. own land and those guys are buying a crap ton of land, that's great because it only drives up the price of valuation of your land, right? Um, so that's when we started our survivalist project, um, which is a way to increase the income production on those farms, right? So I'll give you an example. Like we bought a 454-acre farm, right, at $3,700 an acre, about a $1.4, $1.5 million purchase, right? Now we've taken the income on that from about 105000 a year to 244000 a year. So more than doubled the income on it, but also with the growth in the valuations of real estate, that property that we bought for 1.5 million right now is valued at about 4.4 million. And so, so that kind of investing is something during COVID that we've paid attention to like, 
hey, what's what's the challenge, right? What's what's the problem with with what's going on in society? And where does real estate and where does property come in to fill that need, to fill that challenge, to fill that that desire? Kind of our business was built in o, off of the 08 crash. And so we right. from the beginning said when stuff hits the fan, when stuff gets difficult, when when the shit's really in in, in the shit, right? When mm-hmm. the sucks in the suck, like what real estate makes money? And that's always been our primary focus. Sure. So I actually, that brings up a good point. Cause I wanted to ask you about this. You know, you have all kinds of different property, you know, uh, mm-hmm. there's residential, there's agricultural, like you'd mentioned. Um, we've had a couple episodes recently on uh, kind of the agricultural boom and kind of how tech's getting into that. So there's some exciting stuff in that space, you even have vacant land. Um, and then you said mentioned storage spaces, uh, Sam on our show owns a ton of storage, uh, self-storage units in Hong Kong. He loves it. It's like mm-hmm. one of his favorite investments. So it's really cool that you're all over the place, but what specifically is the advantage to um, versus doing that versus just uh, focusing on one individual sector, whether it be commercial, residential, whatever it may be? Yeah, well, I think there's certain things that, that thrive. So my, my uncle, right, my old school uncle, he's like 85 years old, right? And he said, Dutch, you know, there's one thing that will always make money no matter what if you're in real estate. Right. And he said, bars, he said, because people drink when they're happy and people drink more yep. when they're sad. Right. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't own any bars. Right. But it was a, like a philosophy that stuck. That might be next on the list. <laughs> right. That stuck in the back of my mind though, was, you know, what, what happens when, when stuff hits the fan, what happens when stuff gets, gets difficult. Right. And so, you know, with the farms and the income generation behind the farms and stuff, we just found such a, a lucrative niche. Right. And, and, we figured out that not only could we take something that I'm great at, which is building business, right. And building businesses and, and, and those kind of things, but on farms, there's just so much opportunity, right? If, right. if you take a 454 acre farm and you increase it by a thousand dollars an acre, right. You just increase the valuation of the property by a half a million dollars. Now you start to scale that, right. We're under contract for a 2000 acre farm. You take a 2000 acre farm and you increase the valuation by a thousand dollars per acre, which isn't that much, right? It sure. really isn't not in the world we live in right now. You've increased the valuation of that property by $2 million. And so, so these are, these are the things we're constantly looking at where the margins and the money are and how we can leverage and how can you use AI, right. To leverage, you know, appreciation and understand where markets are going. So like one of the things with the pandemic is people, you know, typically during a difficult economic times, they move into cities, they move where the population centers are, because that's where the work, where the jobs are. But mm-hmm. where, where is not the work and where is not the jobs now is in the cities, right? So we saw a migration to the suburbs, a migration out of the cities, which is very different than what you would normally see during a difficult economic time. And so that's something we began buying a little bit more of our suburban class properties, a little bit more suburban class income generation, right? But what's another thing that's in crazy need right now is daycares, right? People during this time, especially education daycares. Um, because of the way school is and because of School's the way schooling out. is. And so we own daycares. Um, we own a funeral home. Um, I mean, you think about, you know, during a pandemic where an extra 600,000 people die in America, where is that at? And maybe that's a little bit cold, right? And people see that as, you know, maybe a little bit cold, but at the same time, you know, business is business. Sure. And you have to look at business from from a non-emotional standpoint. And you have to say, like, what is happening in the world? And where, where is the money going to go? Right. And for me, I want to know, I want to know those things at all times. And so like, if you ever watch, uh, what's the show billions, right? Yep. Yeah. And you talk about acts, right. And acts when after the nine 11, right. Invested shorted airline stock, right. Sure. In different things, right. And people want to judge that. And for me, it's just, he's just taking 
look, either he's going to do it or someone else is going to do it, but the opportunity is going to be there. It's kind of like when we buy a foreclosure property, right? Sometimes people want to judge us for buying foreclosure properties. Well, the government's going to foreclose on the property no matter what, if it's a tax property. We're just simply buying the property, right? Or a bank's going to foreclose on the property no matter what, so we're going to buy the property. Now, we're not the one doing the foreclosure, so they want to be mad at somebody, be mad at the government, be (laughs) Be mad mad at at the the bank bank. who's doing the foreclosure. We're buying it after they've already done whatever they've done. The best thing we can do is treat the people who live in the house or live in the property with respect, dignity, right? Give them an opportunity to buy back their asset. Give them an opportunity to, to, to reestablish, to reignite their life, right? And so that's something we do. So if you watch some of our videos like on YouTube or different things, you'll see some of the homeowners that were in like pretty nasty conditions. Like this one woman, Joan, we bought her house and her roof was literally on her stairs was falling down, like falling mm-hmm. down from the ceiling. And she's a 70 year old woman and she would literally have to crawl like crawl up her stairs, right. Oh, to get to the yeah. second floor of her house. Right. And so, you know, we were able to, to, to buy the property and then we were able to put it in great condition. Right. And the fascinating thing is, is after we got a chance to talk with her kids and different things, you know, who weren't helping her financially, who weren't helping her with different things. Now suddenly their mom's in a better living condition and they want to help. Right. And different things. And so we were able to establish a rental relationship, a landlord relationship, right. And give her way below market rent, right. To, to be able to live in there where it was, we were able to go in and make the, like the bathroom handicap accessible and I put, you know, just a railing on the staircase. And obviously we fixed the ceiling and the other things to make the property, you know, in a good livable condition. But these are the kind of things we do when we see, you know, the window open, you know, we'll, we'll walk through the door. Sure. That's great. Um, for some of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the process, um, a lot of, a lot of your purchases seem to be uh, tax property sales. Can you tell us uh, about uh, how those work and what kind of advantage that they offer you to get a better return on the property? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple advantages to tax sales, right? It's one of the, um, for me, I found it as one of the better ways to buy real estate from a discount, right? From a cheap, cheaper standpoint. Um, Essentially someone doesn't pay their taxes. They don't pay their, their real estate taxes. And if they don't pay their real estate taxes, eventually a county, a city, the government will foreclose on the property. And so then we'll buy the property at foreclosure, right? And now that's called a tax deed. There's also tax liens where where the, the county or the government will put a lien against the property and you can actually buy the lien and then they have to pay you on the lien instead of paying the government, right? Um, I'm typically more of a tax deed kind of person because I like to own the property. You want the I like property. To, yeah, I want the asset. And, and so for me, you know, in those situations, the complica- there's some complicated parts to that that make it a little bit, you know, more difficult with title and with legal and, and how do you deal with the people living in the property and redemptions and those kind of things. But essentially, you know, the government will, will establish a lien, they'll foreclose on the property, and then we'll buy the foreclosed property from the government. And sure. so, so from are, there- are a lot of these uh, maybe uh, longtime homeowners that just fell behind on payments or some of them are maybe no. a, fl- a flip gone bad or... What's no. kind of the average situation you see? I mean, sometimes, but I mean, the, the typical situation, there's usually like one of three reasons, right? First reason we see more often than not is addiction, right? We see people with, with addictions who don't pay their taxes, where the addiction becomes more important, right, than, than paying sure. the taxes. Um, the second thing we see is we see homes that have fallen apart, right? There's nobody living in them. There's, you know, holes in the ceiling. There's holes in the roof. It's an absolute disaster, right? Essentially um, abandoned properties or? Yeah, abandoned properties. You see a lot of times, like that's the only thing that triggers something to be done with them, right? They get abandoned and there's nothing else that stops them from staying abandoned. Um, eventually a tax sale will trigger something to happen with those properties. So it keeps, you know, 
in the rougher neighborhoods, you'll see more and more abandoned properties. The sure. only thing that, that, that eventually has something to be done with that property is a tax sale. It's the only stop gap. Third so thing are, is you, a lot of your, a lot of the properties you're looking for, um, probably more focused on uh, lower income neighborhoods. Um, I'd say for us, we don't focus on just lower income neighborhoods, right? So we try to hot map, we use AI, right? To hot map our cities okay. to understand valuations. Um, those of you who don't know what I mean by AI, artificial intelligence, right? So we use computer systems and different things to, to know like where our value is going, right? If you buy in, you can buy in a low income generating neighborhood that's going to appreciate 5% per year, right? That really doesn't do me any good. But mm-hmm. if I buy in a, in, a, in, a, in a transitional neighborhood, what I call gentrified, right, low, in, low income neighborhood, they might appreciate 30, 40, 50% per year. And sure. so that's, that's kind of where our focus is, is where's the gentrification happening? Where is the transition of the neighborhoods? Where, where are people who've owned a property that's been worth, you know, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 for 30 years, and now it's suddenly worth 300,000, right? And I know two years from now, it's going to be worth 500,000, right? Where am I catching those transitions? Where am I catching? I call it, you know, like there's a Mississippi river, right? I just need to throw the net out and, and, and catch the fish, right? So I have to figure out where is the river headed? Where's the river, river, river going? Awesome. I love to see uh, kind of the, some of the newer tech kind of implemented into some of your strategy here. Uh, yeah, let's talk about some of my guys are some of my guys that have been with me for years and years. So I used to actually coach college baseball. Um, okay. Cool. And, and that was, that was kind of like before I got into business, got into a career, but then about six years ago, like when I got to the business to a really good place, um, before I had my kids, I coached, uh, college baseball for another two years. So some of those guys now still work for me, um, after oh, they nice. left college and, and different things. Right. And they, they work for the company. And so, but now they've been going to school and they've been looking, they, that's exactly what they're going to school for the statistical research, the artificial intelligence, some of the different things, because we want to be on the cutting edge of evaluation, right? Buying good real estate is all about being able to evaluate the situation, evaluate the deals better than anyone else to know where the values are going to climb. Love that. So uh, we teased it a little bit earlier, but um, let's talk about who can actually invest with you. First off, do you need to be an accredited investor to get into Rad Diversified? You do not need to be an accredited investor. You can be a non-accredited investor to invest with Rad Diversified. And that was a goal for us because funds that open up that only allow accredited investor is actually pretty easy. You can pay a lawyer about $10,000 to become a re- what's called a Regulation D private equity fund, right? And that's fairly easy to do. You don't have to become SEC qualified. You don't have to do, you know, all of those kind of all of those kind of requirements. You don't have to get an auditor. You don't have to have accounting and those kind of things. And that's what we did with our first funds, which was the original uh, investment funds we opened up where our investors invested money. We opened the funds. We paid them back their money. We opened more funds. We did the same thing, right? Over and over. Become a a fund like ours to allow non-accredited investors and to be able to publicly advertise and have non-accredited investors invest with us. We have to go through all the SEC qualifications. We have to become a licensed, what's called Regulation A fund um, in order to do that. And so we we're very proud in that, that we're allowed to take the average everyday person who wants to invest, allow them to make the kind of returns that usually only accredited investors can make. Um, and we've been able to open that door for them. That's great. I know our bosses are going to be excited about that. There's the biggest complaint we get about any guests on is I love this. I can't invest in it because I'm not accredited. So we try to get as many uh, uh, investments on as possible that don't uh, you don't necessarily have to be accredited to participate. Um, also, uh, kind of on the same note, uh, what about investors outside the United States? Do you accept any of those in? Yeah, we have a number of Chinese investors um, in our fund. It's interesting. One of our first investors that came to one of our retreats happened to be Chinese. 
Um, he's like this 22 year old kid um, who pulled out a large stack of cashier's checks and invested with <laughs> nice. us. And, and for the first three years of our fund, he was actually the largest investor uh, in, oh, wow. in the fund. And at 22. And then, yeah. At 22. I think it was family money. Right. Sure. I think it was, he was involved in like government things and different things. Right. Um, and so, but he's still an investor today with us, you know, seven years later. And, um, but over the years he's referred different investors. And so we've gotten, you know, fairly familiar with Canadian investors, Chinese investors. Um, we have a number of investors from Mexico. Right. Um, I mean, I think we can bring in investors from anybody, as long as we do our basic, you know, Homeland security checks and different things on them, um, that that they'll be, you know, just fine. Okay, great. So maybe just a couple more steps, but pretty simple process. Yeah. Um, we, we got we, bosses we, all over the world, so uh, they want to know. They're like, we want to get in on this good American stuff too. <laughs> yeah, we we've been through quite a quite a journey to to do this the right way, you know. Awesome. And, and so so it's it's important to me that you know we pay attention to you know what's what's going on in the world and and what the reality is of of, of investing, right? Um, and 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 make that open. And so you know, I think we're you know traditionally. Primarily, you know, we have more Americans, right, invested in the fund sure. than anywhere else. But I think we've always had that influence. One of our directors is actually his name's Alan Pan, um, and he's a Chinese Canadian, right? Um, and he's our director of international investment. So he actually deals with our international investors and working with them and stuff and, and making sure that, you know, they're able to get their money. Cause it's not always easy for them to get their money into the U S either. Sometimes they've got to yep. transfer money to different banks or do it in different ways. Cool. Um, on a kind of related note is are all your property assets inside the United States? They are, they are, they're okay. all us based. Great. Um, so, I believe so in American, like I believe in American companies owning American <laughs> real estate, even if there's there foreign go. investment, it's still, well, we American want, we want the foreign them. investors in there too. We well. do. We do. It's the perfect <laughs> um, thing. So it seems like it seems like you're really inclusive, which we love. Um, what's what's the minimum investment to get started with Rad? It's a thousand, thousand dollars, just a thousand bucks. Awesome. Yeah, it was fifty thousand for years. Um, and then as we made the transition with the non-accredited investors, and we started working with you know more of the more of the general public, right? Not only referred investors, then we we made it more available to people. Great. So um, how how can investors expect payouts to come? Uh, is it quarterly, annually? some other type of term? Um, and, and how do you determine payouts to investors? Well, as a REIT, you have to pay out 90% of profits every single year. That's a, it's a, to keep your REIT status, your tax status with the federal government, you have to do that. But for us, we have kind of a different philosophy. Um, we have investors like my mother-in-law was one of the first investors with us all the way back in the day. You listen to and your so, guru. But <laughs> you listen to your guru, I said uh, earlier when he said, yeah, right. Very true. Very true. I'd already flipped a few houses at that point, but yeah. And, and so, um, she, she came to me at one point and she said, you know, Miho, I want to, I want to make sure to invest, you know, I want to get an extra income of $500 a month. Right. And so she had invested with us and, and she had originally invested $40,000 with us. Right. And so we looked at the returns and looked at different things. And so we started sending her a check for $500 a month. And now, you know, all these years later, her investments grown from like 40,000 to 90,000, you know, over seven years, but she's still getting her $500 a month check. And so we kind of decided that was something we would make available to any investors, right? That want to have that, that reoccurring income, that supplemental income and different things that if they say they invest a hundred thousand dollars with us, right. And they come to us and they say, well, I'd like to get an extra thousand dollars a month in income. Then we go ahead and distribute that thousand dollars to them every single month and then adjust their capital account. Gotcha. accordingly based on the returns and based on what their payouts are. Otherwise we do what's called, you know, we do quarterly evaluations where the stock price changes every quarter. So our stock price is not, it's a, it's a public REIT, but it's non-traded, right? 
And so the stock exchange doesn't affect our REIT price. The government policies don't affect our REIT price, right? Um, Elon Musk saying something about, you know, the Bitcoin he bought last week doesn't change our stock price, right? <laughs> and so so it's based on asset value and cash flow. And and so that that's a pretty cool part. And so um, we were able to do that for investors. Um, otherwise, then we do every six months, we do a, we do a distribution. So that's that's how we do it. Great. So it sounds like a few different options, but um, if, if someone wants wants to cater um, a, a certain cash flow coming yeah. in every month or, or quarterly or however they want to do it, they're, they're able to negotiate that with you? Yeah. Yeah. It's not so much a negotiation as they stating what they want and us providing. It, it's see one of my, my things that pissed me off early on when I talked to different investors and stuff, they were just always concerned, like they couldn't get their money out. Right. I think that's sure. an investor's biggest fear is like they put their money in and then they never get it back. Right. And so for us, we made the decision that like we wanted to make them give them multiple avenues to be able to receive not only dividends, but also to be able to receive cash flow, also to be able to withdraw if they need to. Um, and, and for us, it's all about comfortability. Right. I learned a long time ago. It's one thing if I make investors money, which I've been doing my entire adult life. But it's the second thing that if, if I can give them a great experience, if, if they can be treated well in America today, too often people are treated not the way they should be treated. Like if I, you're going to invest my money with me, you deserve respect. You deserve my gratitude. You re deserve my appreciation, right? And you deserve your money. And sure. so these are things that I found that make investors happy and differentiate us from, from other companies out there. Like one thing during COVID, like I go to a hotel and I get less service, right? I, I rent a car and, and I get less service, right? Um, I, I go to a restaurant and this isn't the restaurant's fault, but these are the rules and regulations. I go to a restaurant and I'm forced to eat outside. Um, or, or I'm forced to order on an online app and a server doesn't want to talk to you in person. Right. And so yeah, one of the things that, remain the same and your, yeah, and your or go up, say the or same. go up. Yeah. <laughs> or go up, or go exactly. up, we right? see that in airlines too. Oh, the flights have been awful lately. <laughs> and, and I, and I said to myself, I said, look, us during COVID, we're going to get better. We're going to do better investing. We're going to do better customer service. We're going to go to another level. We're going to take care of our investors better. So, so like, that brings up a good point. Go I want to it. ask you too. Um, so what you're saying is there's no, there's no fixed investment term. Um, one of our Patreon members, actually, uh, I want to give him a shout out to Jeff Holmes wanted to ask this too. Um, he just wanted to know what type of fees might occur if you got out early or, or what the terms yeah. are. Um, I know a, a lot of these investments we talk about, you know, there's a minimum, whether it be three years, five years, 10 years, usually there's an option to get out, but there's, there's a penalty associated with that as well. Can you speak to what your process is at RAD? Yeah. So the longer you stay in, the better it is for you, obviously. But mm -hmm. what happens year one, so if you invest $100,000 and let's say we make a 20% return year one, and so you make $20,000. So you would get 96% of that year one of that $20,000 $20, return. So you get over $19,000 on that return. Then year two, you get 97, year three, you get 98, year four, you get 99. In year five, you get 100% of, of your returns, right? And there's, so there's small micro fees if you withdraw early, right? The REIT is a long-term investment, right? This is not sure. Bitcoin trading, day trading, right? Type of investing. This is you're investing in a real tangible asset, real property, right? That, so it is a little bit more of long-term. At the same time, I've invested, investors come to me during COVID, during this last year, numerous different times. And they're like, Dutch, I have an emergency, right? My mother is... Um, my, uh, not my mother, my mother-in-law, right, is in the hospital and my wife is asking me to help, right? And so those, those are different kinds of situations where we just seek to get people their money as fast as humanly possible to take care of them 
as fast as humanly possible because those are, those are emergency stuff, right? Sure. So, actually... uh, so essentially, four years you're fully vested without penalty of withdrawing. Other than that, Correct. it's one percent, I guess, per year lower. So four, three, two, one. Yeah, only one percent of your returns, right? So yeah. So sure. so you still of get your returns, not not your full investment. Okay. Not your full investment. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Got yeah, it that's totally reasonable. So. That makes sense. I just want to get that uh, clarified for everybody. Just trying um, to get the bosses. You know, I don't need the bosses not being bosses. I know, right? Got to stay bossy over here. Um, so how does it work with uh, investor money? Is everything going to one large fund or do you have funds broken out? Like you said, you have, you have agricultural properties, you have residential, you have commercial, you have self-storage, whatever it may be. Are they broken up into, into separate funds and um, someone could allocate? Uh, I want my money to go to agriculture or I want 50% here. I want 50% residential or is that all? No, it goes, in, it goes into, it goes into one diversified fund. That's why it's red diversified. Right. Sure. And so, and, and no, it kind of, the way you're saying it kind of sounds like we're here or here or there. No, we have like very concentrated focuses. Right. So we have our income. Producing- no, I just, I just, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant the investor would say, I no, want I meant, it here, here. I here, meant more yeah, for I, them. Right. Sure. So they understand. So yep. on the one hand, we have our income producing farms. Right. On the other hand, we have our opportunity sectors with our income producing properties. Right. Um, and so we try to, we try to stay very, what we do is very, to me is very simple. We take an asset, we add value to it. We increase the value of the asset and we do it over and over and over. We found through, the concentrated effort in, in our income producing farms and our opportunity properties, right? That, that concentrated effort is like a compounding effect, right? We've all heard of compounding interest, mm-hmm. but when you're concentrating in these specific areas, there's a compounding effect on top of the compounding interest where you just get better, right? Your staff, your team get better, your acquisitions teams get better, your financing gets better, right? Like years ago, when I first started, I was borrowing money like 10, 12, percent with points points on the dollar and everything else today i borrow it like a three percent right with with maybe one point on the dollar um sure. and so we're getting money cheap um and a part of that's just just our scale and the ability from the the concentrated effort so um what happens if if the offering gets fully funded i think um the maximum used to be 50 million i think it recently went up to the sec um, yeah it went up to obviously you know better than i do but um mm-hmm whatever, whenever you filed, what, what's the maximum amount allowed in the fund? And do you have another offering available afterwards that you're planning on? Or can you just give us some insight into how that works where um, I know we've had other um, companies on that somebody wants to do it. And then, you know, three months after we air the show, you know, the offerings fully sold out and you can't get in. So where, what, what, uh, what do you see with that? And, and the rad fund? Yeah, I mean, I do think we'll fully we'll fully vest, right? I think we'll fully we'll fully sell out um, from a stock price. Um, our goal from there is to open another um, REIT, right? And 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 to take that REIT and grow and grow and grow that as well. Um, but right now, the the primary focus is to take the current REIT, to take take the current capital, the current money, keep investing it effectively, keep investing it smartly, take care of our current investors, right? And we'll allow what happens after after, right? Um, is to take care of the people who invest now. And, and, and for me, sometimes I think too often people worry about what doesn't exist. Right. And for me, it's always about what exists now. Um, maybe that's an old, you know, be, be present mental, uh, uh, mindset. Right. But for me, that's, you know, what's important is I got to take care of the people that exist with us now. And so that's just, that's just one of our philosophies. That makes sense. And since we're talking about the SEC, I should bring it up. Um, on your site, you, you had mentioned that you filed for a COVID-19 amendment, that mm-hmm. guarantees a 5% minimum payout. Can you explain um, what that's all about and how it works? Yeah. So, you know, I saw a lot of REITs out there who 
froze new investments, who froze withdrawals, right? When COVID hit and we didn't do any of that, right? We paid out more money in 2020 than we've ever paid out in the history of our company, right? We made more new investments in 2020 than we ever made in the history of our company. And I know this year in 2021, we're going to do the same. And so for me, I wanted people not only to feel comfortable, but I wanted to guarantee it. And so we backed that by doing an amendment. And I I think we're the only company that I know that's a, a registered fund with the SEC, right? That did a COVID-19 amendment for a guaranteed distribution. Um, and, and it was our, our, our want, wanting our investors not only to feel comfortable, but not just to feel comfortable for us to put our backing, to put our guarantee behind that. And the SEC was kind of, kind of hard on that, right? They wanted us to prove that we had the assets to back the guarantee, right? They wanted us to guarantee the guarantee, right? Sure. Um, as guarantors on it. And so it actually took more effort than we thought it was going to, to do it. But I'm glad we did. Cause you know, I think it just, I mean, we achieved 30, you know, 36.7% return last year. So the 5% distribution right is was fairly easy for us to do but i wanted our investors to feel that comfortability sure so can you explain uh what that guarantee covers and how long that would stay in effect till yeah so we were reapplying for that guarantee in 202021 right um and our plan is to offer that guarantee it might not no longer be a covid-19 guarantee but sure. our plan is to continue to offer that guarantee going forward as a part of our reit so the guarantee is is 5% annually correct correct okay just want to clarify that yeah um and then which everybody uh, told us we couldn't do. And it's always <laughs> funny. Like when the world tells you, you can't do something. I'm always, well, let's look into that more. Right. Oh, let's, research, the same way. <laughs> let's research that more. There's Let me dive into that a little bit more. Right. And so, cause I wanted to offer a guarantee and our first lawyer said, well, Dutch, the SEC is not going to let you allow you to offer a guarantee. I said, well, where's the regulation on that? Right. Where's the, where's the law? Where's the statement on that? Well, he isn't there. He, there isn't one. They just kind of frown upon it. I said, well, if there's not a regulation, there's not a rule against it. And I want to <laughs> offer my investors, a goddamn 15, I mean, 5% guarantee, right? I, let me offer them a 5% guarantee. It's part of my French, everybody. But like, I get passionate about like professionals who like tell you, you can't do something you can do, right? Sure. I, I get passionate about people who say, I can't take care of my people when I want to take care of my people, right? Yeah, it's and the so old, it's they didn't my tell fire. me, they didn't tell me I couldn't not do it. So. <laughs> right, right. And so, and then, and here's the thing, the crazy part was, and, and like the lawyers totally wanted to keep us as the investment company, the founders, right? They wanted to, keep us separated from the SEC, right? And eventually I said, look, man, call the SEC and I want to be on the phone call, right? And he got on the phone, he called the SEC and he was talking to him and I said, and then I just, you know, piped in, which he didn't want me to talk, right? During the call, <laughs> I piped in, I just asked the question. I said, well, can I offer a 5% guaranteed distribution? And then the person on the, with the SEC, very, very helpful, right? He said, yeah, Dutch, you can. Like, there's no there's no regulation that says that, says that you can't do that, right? And And so like, it's funny what sometimes like, is the law or the, or what the lawyer wants to tell you it is, but what the actual reality, what, what, what the truth is. Right. And so sure. for me, I always believe like in, in, in transparency, realism and truth, right. Those that's like a motto of our company is, is we'll be transparent about every thing we do and we want to keep it real with you. And then also we're always going to keep seeking the truth. And, and, and so for me, that's, that's important because, you know, I want to be the vehicle where the everyday person, every you know, the working professional people that are in the business every single day, that, that they can invest, they can make money, right? And they can feel safe and comfortable doing it. And, the, and it's not about, it's fascinating. I was reading other offers, right? And they're trying to raise money for a business that's going to be, you know, angel investing, right? And, and like my mindset is like, I don't angel invest, I invest, right? Sure. And, and there's nothing wrong with angel investing, but it's just not my mindset. My mindset is a real tangible asset, something I can touch, feel, I can taste, and I, that produces income. 
because it's not like I hear this commercial on the radio all the time. And I'm like, man, it scares the shit out of me because the radio on the commercial says all the time, they say 600 million in undeveloped real estate, right? It's a commercial. And I'm thinking to myself, 600 million in undeveloped real estate to me sounds like a ticking time bomb, right? Sure. It's like, I believe in income producing developed real estate that makes money and can make more money and continue to make money. That's just, that's just my mindset. Right. So yeah, totally. So you've, you've told us how uh, we as investors make money. Uh, so the question is how does uh, rad diversified make its money? What are some, uh, what are some of the management fees? Are there any other uh, fees outside of that, that investors should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So we make a pretty pretty standard fee structure, two and twenty, right? Um, it's just like the billions, right? If you ever watch the TV show, right? Same same rate rate rates they they went by. It's a pretty standard industry term. So it's two percent of of management fees, and then twenty percent profit share. So eighty percent of all profits go to our investors. Twenty percent come to us as owners of of the REIT. Yeah, that seems pretty standard. Um, one other thing. Um, investor wise. Uh, this comes from our uh, Patreon member, Pete. Uh, he wants to know uh, what does Rad Diversified provide investors tax wise at the end of the year? Do you get a K1, a 1099? Is there uh, separate forms for each fund, which we've already answered that, I think, because you're just uh, one large fund. And um, can investors just expect one easy tax form or is it a little bit more complicated than that? No, it, it's one- personally, I just filed my taxes. So I don't, this is already giving me a panic attack. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it gives everybody a panic attack, right? I hear it all the time. You know, the, it's not a K1, right? That's if we were a normal rank D fund, right? Um, it's, it's simply like you invest in stocks, right? Well, when do you pay taxes? If you invest in the stocks is if you withdraw from the stock, you get you pay taxes on the dividends or the returns, right? So at the end of the year, you get one simple tax form, right? And it's only based on you know if you withdraw and when that withdrawal would make a profit. And so it's fairly fairly simple in that way. Cool. Um, now I'm just going to give you a chance to brag now. So in 2019, according to your site, uh, Rad Diversified did a 44% return and a 36.7% return in 2020. And that's obviously with COVID happening as well. What are you seeing now and how can you maintain these insane gains? And why wasn't I called in 2019 to invest? <laughs> well, I didn't know you in 2019, but I would love <laughs> love to have called you. You know, it, it's fascinating, right? The thing that a lot of people don't understand is that first year, it's always very easy to open up the fund and make good returns, right? Because because you don't have any equity to balance against. And so when I buy a property and I make 30% equity or I buy a property and I make more than that, it, it automatically all the way, all goes to the bottom line, right? But then year two is when the real stuff starts to get busy, right? And you you start to get very serious about you know, these are, these are your, your returns. And then year three, then year four, right. Things start to balance out. Right. And so for me, 2021 looks really good. Um, What we're doing with the income producing farms, what we're doing with the survivalist project is something that I think no one else in the real estate world and real estate introduce is, is doing right. And we're increasing our cash flow, which is the basis of my business is cash flow, right? I mean, equity is great and valuation of equity is great, but that's a number that people, choose, right? Appraisers choose it, valuators choose it, and those kind of things. Cash flow is cash flow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter like what somebody else sees the value of something is. Cash flow is cash flow. And so the cash flow we're producing with the survivalist project is is off the charts, right? And so Can you go me, into that survivalist project a little bit more? I was a little unclear how that works. So we buy these income producing farms, right? And they're producing good income. And, for, and I'll use use uh, we have one farm in, in Idaho. It's 454 acres. When we bought it, it was producing 105,000 uh, a year in income. Right. Um, since then, we've been able to take the income from 105,000 to 244,000 uh, a year in income. 
And so we've been able to massively increase the cash flow, but here's what it is. And so we keep running our farm on it. We keep producing the income on it. We keep the, the standard stuff is, but then we start increasing the income through other sources. And so like we added the quarry to the property and we've added other things, but the cornerstone of that is we're building an escape plan, a plan B, right? If the proverbial shit hits the fan, right? If, and you know, everybody thinks, well, nuclear bomb, right? Well, if, if that happens, well, I don't really think that's something so much to be scared about. But when you talk, start talking about electrical grids growing down, you talk about China has a 40 year plan to overthrow capitalism and we're 25 years into that. You talk about artificial intelligence surpassing human intelligence as a superior intelligence on our planet, right? That's mm -hmm. happening right now. The old Terminator, you know, intelligence thing is actually real today, right? Um, if you believe that the pandemic was a, um, if you believe the pandemic was planned, if you don't believe it just happened, right? Um, you're talking about trillions of dollars, not billions, not millions, trillions of dollars between the testing, between the creation of the vaccine, between the actual taking of the vaccine, right? And what people pay for that, what the insurance companies, what the government's paying, right? You're talking trillions of dollars. Um, if you don't think that, that that's planned, then, 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 then you're not me. Okay. Um, because, cause, cause, cause I do believe there, there, there was a test that was done. I do believe there was an experimentation. Um, you know, we have certain members of our survivalist community that are in special operations, special forces within, within the military who've said to us, there's another pandemic coming, right? They have no doubt that in the next four to five years, there's another pandemic's coming. And, and, and my belief is the next one might be worse. Right. And so these are all things that people want to plan B, right? Most people don't have half a million, a million dollars to build their own bunker, right? Right in the middle of a mountain, in the middle of nowhere, right? Kind of shelter. And so what we did was we produced sustainable income producing farms that if the shit ever hits the fan, they have a place they can go to. And so for, for $200 a month, people have a place they can go to, right? Uh, and so this is something we built and then people have been doing it and it just caught wildfire. It's like I was doing... um different podcasts and I was doing different like real estate clubs and stuff. Right. And people would hear about the survivalists and they wouldn't want to talk about tax liens and tax deeds at all. All they wanted to talk about was survivalists. And so our income production from that is continued to grow. And, and the worse things get, the more people buy into it. And so that you understand the survival industry was a, a $75 billion industry last year, right? The year before that, it was a $25 billion dollar industry. Sure. You got me going down a rabbit hole now that you mentioned this. Um, so you have uh, one of these properties you said you started, right? Um, we, we did our first multiple. property, right? Okay. Uh, but we have multiple properties now. Sure. So, yeah. and, and you have 54 members. was our first one. And then we have 800 in New Mexico. And then we have other, we just have, I don't tell everybody about every single property, but, but no, we have that's fine. multiple uh, properties throughout the country. But you're able to essentially get a, a subscription service out of these people. Yeah. Essentially right now. Okay. Yep. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, we, and, and it's cool stuff. I mean, we have electrical grids, sustainable water, you know, like one of our properties is two miles of riverfront, right? We create storage on the property so people can send things that we store at the properties for them. So there's just different, different resources. We usually have cattle um, and farm, farm animals on every single property. So my first time I bought 10 heifers, right? I was like, like, I don't know if heifer is like a PC word or anything. Yeah. That's what they actually call a pregnant. You said it, I did. They actually call a pregnant cow, right? A pregnant cow is actually the, the real name of it. It's a heifer, right? Sure. It's like the, the name for a female dog is an inappropriate word to say on a podcast, right? Right. Well, you know, a pregnant cow is a heifer. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, So you kind of seem like a guy, a guy that's a, uh, seeing these trends, trends, excuse me, in advance, 
Um, I think this is a, a very interesting. Um, I definitely want to learn more about this uh, down the line. Is there somewhere to check out more about the Survivalist Project online? Do you have a site? Is it kind of a members-only type deal, or how does this well, work? If somebody really wanted to check out the Survivalist Project, our website's actually americansurvivalistproject.com. Okay. okay. Um, but also on our rad diversified website, they can go, they can go there as well. One of my staff or teams here is trying to tell me something. What? Yeah, and on Facebook, it's the survivalist project. The survival. We'll put all this in our show notes as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously rad looks very interesting. And especially since you added that little dynamic there as well, well I was generating some more cash flow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds it's like fascinating. I, my wife came to me and she said, she said, sweetheart, I feel like we need a plan B, right? California is crazy. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't judge people who, who, who get vaccinations. Right. But I'm not a, like a super pro vaccination person. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that's very controversial in today's world, but I also believe in our own medical rights. I believe if you want to take a vaccination, you should have the medical right to do it. And if you don't want to, you should have the medical right not to. Right. Sure. Um, it scares me when every vaccination out there has nanites in it. Right. Like every sci-fi horror movie I ever watched in my life and they start talking about nanites and putting little robots in the body of every single human being that's going to change their dna literally scares the living bejesus out of me right and 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 i know that's not for everybody a lot of people you know they want their life back i know you're vaccinated right and so so yeah, I think you're talking to a robot right now what <laughs> you're talking to a robot right now dutch talking to a robot right now right and, and and so for a lot of people i think it's great but i think you should have that right to make that choice sure. right and and so you know my wife is 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 very much a believer in, in, in purity. Right. And so she believes in the pure food and she believes in, in, you know, uh, ability to natural health and building, boosting the immune system and, and, and other kinds of things. And so she said, I feel like, you know, California is going to force us to vaccinate our kids. We need a plan B. Right. And I'm like 50, 50 on, right. Cause part of my science brain says vaccination makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other part of my brain, you know, in the pure health and the, and the, and the not putting anything into our body, which is kind of our philosophy, right? No pharma into our body. Right. It's kind of one of our, our pure beliefs. It's almost like a religion to us. Right. In our beliefs. And so then they, they kind of go like this. Right. And so, but then I said, I just want to have the right either way. And, right. and so she said, we need a plan B. And she goes, I also think with these riots and protests, they were, you know, very scary to her. And so I said, well, you know what, let me just create a plan B, right? If, if like, if the actual worst proverbial shit hit the fan, right, let me create a plan B. And so I went and bought the first farm. And then every relative and every single person I knew said, well, Dutch, I want to be able to come too. Yeah. And then our investors, like, as I shared it with them, they all said, I want to come too, Dutch, like, let's do more of this, right? And because we, you know, we have our inner circle for people who invest, you know, anybody who invests more than $50,000 with us, we put them in an inner circle. It's like a, an elite investing group, right? They, it's a I was just, just going to suggest you should offer a, a, a spot at the farm for a certain level investor. <laughs> right. And, and so we, and, and so we have that club, right? We have that club just because I've gotten as much from that club as they've ever gotten from me. Right. The, sure. the minds of people, their minds, like I, I, I crowdsource. Right. And so, so as much as I can pull, you know, their minds to it, it's really helpful. And so they wanted more. And so then we bought a bigger farm and then we allowed other people to join us. And then it just kind of started to tumble and catch, catch fire. And the crazy part is, is the more people that join, the more money we can put into making it a better community, a better farm, right? Like when I first bought my first farm, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to think we'd have $150,000 armory, right? Um, sure. For the safety of the farm. I wasn't thinking that we'd own, you know, 
400 cows. I wasn't thinking that, you know, we were going to have, you know, our own solar grids and our own waste disposal and our own quarry, right. For construction and like just all of these different things. But as it's continued to grow, it just kind of continues to compound and build upon itself, which is, I mean, it's almost like a life of its own. You said, I see things in advance and I don't, I don't know that I always thought I saw things in advance. Right. But like somewhere, like I just like, you know how your mind fires. I'm sure your mind does. Right. It's Mm -hmm. almost like fireworks going off. Like there was some point in time in like the last decade of my life where like when it came to business and real estate, like the fireworks just kept, kept going off. Right. And, and I started listening and I started listening and I started doing them pulling in more data and more information. And I kept listening. And then I found really incredible people to work with. Right. Then my team members and people, right. That, could implement right those those fireworks that were going off for me all the time and 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 so then i was able to continue to create more and more opportunities because i was around such incredible people that could help me implement that could help me build the things that i was seeing and so it's like like i'm i sit here right now with like like patrick he's director of like all of our media buying advertising and different things right and and you know he's a 24 year old i would call him a 24 year old man right can't call him a 24 year old kid because he's a 24 year old man right like he played baseball for me years ago when he was a kid, but you know, he stepped in and he's done more than like, I've had like six other people go through that position over the years. And I've had other people who said they were going to do a job, but he came in and he does a job. Right. And he does it to an elite level. And like, but that's throughout my business, throughout my company, I've been able to surround myself with like these powerful, incredible people. And I think that's kind of a philosophy of us as a company. Like a few weeks ago, we were able to offer health insurance to all of our all of our people and pay for 75% of all their health insurance, right. For all of our people that work for the company. And like, that was a proud Papa moment because yeah. I was able to take care of my people, but because the reason I was able to is because they've taken care of me, which, which, which that mutual relationship is because we've been able to take care of our investors. That's right? great. That's yeah. our, it our, sounds like you're taking care of investors and in, in turn, you know, you're taking care of your employees. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't live in a utopian world. Right. I mean, (laughs) I'm saying not saying shit's not hard. I'm not saying we don't work our asses. I'm not saying stuff doesn't go wrong, but, but we do it regardless, right. Regardless, regardless of the, what ifs we do it. So I got to say between myself, uh, Sam and Johnny, the other guys on the show, we're coming up on 200 episodes and we're just like, there can't be any more investments that we can talk (laughs) about. And then, you know, I have, I have you guys on, we're just going to talk about a REIT and then it goes into all kinds of other stuff and you're, it's different, you know, everything's different and there's, there's so many ways to invest money. Um, and you've been crushing the returns. I, I wish you the best of success, uh, going forward. And I want to, uh, tell people where they can go to, uh, check out more about you. Um, I think you guys set up a special site for us. It's, um, go.raddiversified.com slash boss. So rad is just R A D. So raddiversified.com slash boss. Uh, there is a waiting list, but I think Vanessa told me she's going to let our listeners kind of jump to the front of that list so we can get invested as soon as possible. Anything else you want to tell us um, about rad Dutch or. Yeah. So for you guys, we've rem- re- re- removed the waiting list for the like a boss people that come in. And so they'll be able to immediately invest. So that's, awesome. that's really cool. Um, what else would I want to tell you? I mean, I tell you my, my business partner, Amy, right. I haven't, we haven't shared much about her on the phone, but just so you guys can understand, she's like a boss, like the rest of you for a long time. Uh, she had a test tattoo on, 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 on her that said boss lady. So, so that's well, why aren't we speaking to her Dutch Get right, out of here. Right? <laughs> far, far, far more attractive. Right. <laughs> right. Um, she's, she's an absolute, you know, 
uh, amazing, incredible person. So as you guys check out her stuff, you'll love to hear from her. Um, she's deep into her why, but deep into being a strong, powerful businesswoman. So, um, you know, I, I can't do anything without shouting out to crazy praise to my business partner. And so um, between her and then I have my wife, Vanessa, who helped me first found, right, my first real estate business before she retired and went into full-time efforts into philanthropy, philanthropy, right? Um, You know, those are so much gratitude anytime I talk about the things we've created and the things that we're doing to to those two powerful women. So I got to give that shout, man. I love your passion and your energy and your attitude. And I think if your staff's got half as much as that, you guys are doing pretty well. Um, Man, did we again. fly through this thing quick or what? Yeah, we're we're overtime actually. Wow, wow we're just <laughs> yeah, flowing, bro. Well, thank good. you so much. That was great. Um, there's a ton of stuff on their website too. So check it out. Raddiversified.com slash boss. Learn more about Dutch. Uh, he's got some examples of the properties they're looking at and um, more about that survival of this project as well. We'll put all the links in the show notes. You can check it out um, in the podcast notes. Um, With that, though, Dutch, really appreciate the time. It was great talking with you. All right. Well, to the boss world, you know, I appreciate you guys letting me share with you. And we'll talk to all of you soon, man. Woo! That was one word. Rad which is actually a word I haven't heard in like 10 years, but that, that describes this interview and Dutch better than anything. <laughs> Dutch is a rad guy, total character. Um, I just, I, I like the guys that aren't, you know, the, the buttoned up suit and tie type of guys that will, you know, just kind of not have fun with things. He seems like a fun guy. He's definitely driven. And he, he reminds me of me in the sense that he's, he's, he's a really jumpy guy. If you, if you watch him on the video, we'll post it up on YouTube. He's just really antsy and he's excited and he, he's a real go-getter. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that we had them on the show. Uh, to be honest, I think we've been just kind of ignoring all the, uh, all, all the, we get so many requests to come on the show and we're like, oh, it's another real estate fund or another real estate REIT. And we normally just ignore them, but I'm so glad that you guys dug in and you had them on the show because that was one of the most interesting and also entertaining interviews that we've had in a while. Totally. And I didn't even like realize the whole scope of this survivalist project. I just thought, you know, I read, I read that he's buying farms and I kind of thought, you know, we've been doing agriculture lately, you know, that's a good space to make some money. I didn't realize that he's adding a whole other service on top of these uh, farms. So I was like, how are you basically doubling the income on the acreage of these farms? And it's because he's getting subscriptions for these people that really do believe that, you know, there might be another pandemic four or five years down the road or something even worse. And People want to have a backup plan. So I thought that was really interesting and a totally innovative way to kind of add additional revenue to a property and make it a much more valuable. What do you think about that aspect, Johnny? I thought that was super interesting. I mean, the one thing that wasn't super clear, because that almost kind of just came out of nowhere at the end. I think you were actually wrapping up the, the interview yeah. when you when you kind of mentioned like, oh, by the way, what's the Survivors Project thing? Yeah, I was and like, hold when, on, yeah. we, we got to get into this deeper. Let's go down this hole. So yeah, I was definitely ready just to wrap it up. And then that happened. So little do you know, but Johnny is actually a semi-survivalist himself. Why am I not surprised, Johnny? Do tell yeah. more. So when I read Emergency by Neil Strauss back in like, I don't know, 2014 or whenever it came out, I was like, you know what? I can, I can see something happening in the world where there's going to be a shortage of food and water and the government's not going to be able to help us. I'm, you know, I don't want to die. Like, I, I want to I be the one to survive. 
let me uh, let me just you know be smart and just stock up on some basics. Let me have two weeks of water, two weeks of food, have some batteries, have some backup things. So in my apartment in Chiang Mai, Thailand, I like just started stocking up on, on dry goods and, and water. And unfortunately, I've been moving around too much to actually just keep a, a steady supply. But I've already planned that the next, when I actually buy this this apartment, I'm definitely going to have like, you know, three or four weeks of water stashed, some food stashed, and just kind of some some basic survival stuff stashed. See, I'm totally not against this idea. I just, for some reason, I don't do it. I'm in Los Angeles. Everyone says, oh, get your earthquake kit ready. Get flashlights, get water, get all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I should do that. I should do that. And it never happens. <laughs> and just literally a week ago at like 4 a.m., I was woken up out of the middle of the night to this big crack of an earthquake and the, my whole building, you could hear a shift. And then I was just like, eh, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the thing is about big cities is it is the best place to live when everything's doing, going well. But if you think about it, if there's a run on a supermarket, it like it seems like there's a lot of stuff there, but there really isn't. So as we experienced with even just the toilet paper shortage or, you know, the, some of the food shortages, you know, from the panic buying, that can very well happen again. And what that shows is two things. One <clears throat> is our supply chain, especially in the big cities, is limited. It, it, when it goes well, it goes smoothly, but it's restocked, you know, five days a week. So if they're if they're unable to restock for any reason, the roads are closed or there's you know cut in supply chain, that's it. And second, the emergency services they can't get to everyone in time, and I don't expect them to. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people like like what happened in Texas with the uh, when they had the power outages because of the the severe cold. <clears throat> people were blaming the government, saying, "Why aren't you guys helping us?" And and what are they going to do? Like they they haven't you know they haven't planned for it. It's one of those things where, it, of course, I feel bad for everyone who was without food or water, but at the end of the day, it's up to all of us as individuals, especially if you have a house in Texas, why don't you have two weeks of water? Why don't you have you know, two weeks of food or four weeks of food? It's things that every single person could plan for. We just don't because we just expect everything to be okay all the time. That's a good point. I mean, I can see where this is doing really well right now because we're in the middle of it. You know, we're a year plus into COVID and just other things seem to happen like that, that Texas power outage we were talking about, or just, you know, every year it seems like hurricanes are worse or snowstorms in Florida or wherever, uh, you know, wherever it may be somewhere where it shouldn't snow and they're getting a foot of snow and the whole place breaks down because, the infrastructure can't handle it. So I think because we've seen all this stuff happen lately, that this is definitely a hot market to be in. I just wonder, like, let's say we have two good years where nothing crazy happens. Are people going to get fatigued and, and kind of get back into, oh, everything's fine. I don't have to worry about it. Or is this going to continue to be on the top of everyone's mind? Yeah, it definitely won't be on the top of people's mind. I, I think that's why it's good that these things are getting built now. Uh, I do have one question about that, the Survivors Project, is I know that there's the $200 a month buy-in, but are they, when you invest in it, are you, do you get a space and returns from, from that, that profit? Or does all that just go back into building up the, the space? That's a good question. I'm actually, I will follow up uh, with Dutch's team and find out about that and we'll get some answers uh, going and we'll add it into the show notes.
Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be a discussion about this in the boss lounge as well. If you guys haven't joined, that's a private Facebook group. Just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus. You can join there. Uh, and yeah, this was a, a cool episode. I mean, the, the, the survivor stuff was cool, but also his take on how to treat customers well, uh, especially during a, a downturn and their reach structure and, and how they're you know, diversifying, you know, as, as you said, instead of just buying, you know, the same old apartment building, uh, doing kind of, you know, the, the kind of the, the same old, same old that everyone else is doing. I like that they're doing something different. Yeah. And I, I think it, it speaks to Dutch's character and the culture he's kind of provided at rad that it sounds like he really treats his employees well, um, as well. So, you know, if you're treating your employees, right, you're probably going to treat your customers, right. Uh, he said during COVID, you know, they didn't lay one person off. In fact, they actually hired uh, more people when COVID mm -hmm. broke out and um, they're still seeing these monster returns. But, uh, you know, I, I will mend that with the, with the part that Dutch said, it's easy to make these big returns when, when a fund is new. So, you know, the first year did 44%, the second year he did 36%, which is still amazing. Um, I, I would expect that obviously he wants to continue on that pace and, and keep around that number, but not to be a hundred percent expected that you're going to get 40% every year. Um, Johnny, what do you think? Do you think he can sustain this pace or something similar, or is it going to get kind of more into reality where we see our other investments, you know, in the 10 to 15% range? I mean, we've looked at, you know, hundreds now of different investments and the one kind of commonality is even though some of them have you know bigger swings, uh, in general everything settles around ten percent for whatever reason. I, I think it's 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 capitalism, right? If something's getting outsized returns, other people are going to go in the market. Something's going to happen where it's going to settle back down around ten percent, and and that has you know that's with you know the stock market. It's with the real estate market. It's with pretty much every investment. I'd have to dive in deep. Yeah. Like, I, like I'd have to dive in deep and see how they're even getting, you know, 36 and, and 47 returns. It sounds great, but I would like, I would definitely advise anyone to, you know, to, to, to read and do your own DG before investing in, in anything, not, not just this read, but anything that's promising more than 10%, I would definitely dive in deep. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, I think Johnny is that someone is going to listen to this podcast and steal his idea. So we just <laughs> our whole business plan. <laughs> I, I think no, like, yeah, yeah. these returns are actually from the survivalist project. And I want to get into that deeper and I should ask him about that as well too. They have a full sec filing um, available on their site too. And we set up a special site, go.raddiversified.com slash boss. So you can go there and you can sign up and they're actually going to give you all the information of what they are currently holding and um, get you signed up and on the list as fast as possible. So definitely do your due diligence and ask them those important questions. You know, how are you getting this big of a return? Because it's amazing right now, but you know, it, it could be less, it could be more, uh, but more than likely as Dutch even said himself, you know, it's going to level off. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. But I mean, it sounds like an awesome investment. This is something that I think anyone who you know has been wanting to get into some alternative investments, but you know, you're locked out either because you are not accredited or you're not a US citizen. This is something to, to look into. So I am glad we had him on. I think this is a cool, uh, interesting investment. And I definitely think that Dutch is a rad, interesting guy. So if nothing else, I was definitely entertained, but it also seems like this is a cool, this, I'm glad we had him on the show because I think 
that there's going to be a certain portion of people listening that are going to do their DD and they're going to be like, oh, actually, you know, this is something I want to invest in. I think so too. And I really, really like the, the fact that, you know, it's only a thousand bucks to get in and, you know, anyone can join accredited, non-accredited, international, you know, they want to make this accessible to everyone. And I'd be interested, hopefully maybe down the line, we can do a follow-up episode with Dutch because he's so interesting. He actually invited me to uh, check out one of their survivalist farms. So I might have to do that in the near future. Dude, you, you absolutely should. I would like, I would, if I was anywhere in Southern California, I would definitely, or wherever, wherever they're having it, New Mexico, I would definitely go check that out. Cause I think it's a cool idea. And if they can make it, I mean, here's, I don't know how they're running it, but if they can make it to be an actual productive farm with you know, some kind of permaculture, where you know the uh, the cattle is eating grass, and then they're using you know the the poo for manure to grow like apples or plums or something, and then using that to feed like the chickens to then have the chickens like poo onto a pond for the fish, you know, like it was some kind of like permaculture where they can keep everything you know within their contained um, environment. And then actually just be able to sell the proceeds because they're not, you know, they're obviously not going to be eating all that during um, the non-apocalyptic times. That would be a cool business. And that's something I would definitely support. Yeah, it, tot- it sounds like it's totally self-sustainable. So I would definitely be interested in finding out, you know, their processes and how that all works. So maybe I'll have to take them up on that offer. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, with Rad Diversified. Definitely very, very diversified, this team. Uh, And big thank you to all of our Patreons for supporting uh, the podcast because without you guys, Derek would not have been here. So thank you so much. And Derek, we appreciate you being on the show and finding these awesome guests. Thank you so much. Uh, Shout out to our Patreons too. We just completed our third mastermind call, really awesome content. Um, We don't record those. So if you want to be on those calls, we're going to do another one in probably about two months, I would say. Uh, You got to sign up as a Patreon, as an all access or VIP member. Um, Really great networking. And uh, it's interesting to find out what people invest in. Yeah. So any of the $10 and up Patreon um, pledges, you have access to these you know, I would say like bi-monthly or quarterly mastermind calls. You also have access to uh, Sam and I's quarterly um, kind of portfolio breakdowns. Uh, and we post in there every time we, we, we buy something or we sell something. And it's, it's all kind of like the insider information for just the Patreons. And the reason why we don't record these masterminds, even though a ton of people have been asking for it, is for privacy of the Patreon members, you know, they want to be able to talk openly about their portfolios. You know, they're not all public figures like, like we are. And they're just, you know, everyday people like, like you guys and gals listening. And you want to have a kind of intimate space with trusted people that you can just open up and say, look, this is, I put this much money in this, my wife or my husband said this, <laughs> and, you know, and this is what I plan on investing in. And, you know, it's, it just, it's fair to them not to record and share it. Totally. Uh, so before we get out of here, once again, another shout out to Dutch Mendenhall, CEO of Rad Diversified. Like I said, his team actually sent me a special link for you guys to check out. So the general fund, if you just go to their main site, it's actually on a wait list. So you can't get in right away, but they have guaranteed that all our bosses that are interested in uh, investing in rad can get right to the front of the line and invest immediately. So just go to go.raddiversified.com slash boss. I'll also throw that link in the show notes. 
Uh, it, it doesn't mean you have to put money in right away. It just means you get direct access to their team to ask them these questions and do your due diligence like you should. Yeah, definitely. And actually, if you do invest, it's only a thousand dollar minimums, which, which is very cool. I, I think that's another thing that stops a lot of people. So this really is for everybody. So check it out, Derek. Great chatting and everybody will see you on the next episode. All right. See you later, Johnny. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.